How are you now? <laughs> How are you now? How are the Montreal Canadiens now? Folks, they win in St. Louis against the Blues 7-4. to four. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast presented by Habs Eyes and the Prize. I am Matt Drake and I am fired up. Oh my god, that was an entertaining game. I mean, you, you regardless of whether you're on Team Tank or, or if you want to see the Habs do well this season, you got to admit, a game like that, you, you got to just sit back and enjoy it. That's the kind of stuff that I want to see on my television on a Saturday night. Are you kidding me? A barn burner. That's what I've been wanting all season. I would take that game if they were on the losing end of it. I don't care. Give me an entertaining game like that every day and twice on Sundays. We don't have a game on Sunday this week, so I'm going to take this one on Saturday night. Uh, man, what a game. Uh, a lot of goals to recap there. we got 11 total goals to talk about, so let's get right into that recap. Uh, decent start by the Habs in the first period, but the Blues start to really take over that game a couple minutes into the first period. Habs have a very long sloppy shift at one point uh, I can't remember exactly what point in the period it was but weird zone entry kind of scrambly ends up on Braden Shen's stick uh, David David Savard is down trying to block it almost blocks it with his face uh, but it gets through and goes in initially was credited to Braden Shen but they gave it to Jordan Cairo later on turns out it touched his leg on the way through either way one nothing for the Blues but the Habs get it back in the final five minutes of the period Cole Caulfield down low Beautiful feed up to the point right in the wheelhouse for Jordan Harris. He claps it. It goes off Nick Suzuki, similar to the way that it went off of Jordan Cairo's leg. It went off Suzuki's leg and made it 1-1. We got a tie game going into the first intermission. And shit starts to get crazy going into the second. So Habs get a power play at the end of the first, and it trails into the second. Uh, They don't even get a single shot. So the power play really not doing well, but... You know, hold that thought because we're going to talk about the power play some more. And it costs them that they can't score on that power play, though. Shot on goal by Tyler Pitlick, former Hab Tyler Pitlick. Noel Akiari bangs home the rebound, makes it 2-1 to one about five minutes into the period. And then we have a bullshit slashing call on Josh Anderson about midway through the period. Uh, it was a stick lift, and they called him for slashing. And, of course, it hurts the Habs. Jordan Cairo scores basically right off the faceoff to make it 3-1 to one for the Blues, but the Habs do not quit. Not too long after that goal, Nick Suzuki takes a shot. It goes off the backboards and out around to the other side of the net. Cole Caulfield, he gets that rebound coming off the backboards, and he's all alone in the low slot. You know he's going to score from there. He dunks it, makes it 3-2. to two. And then, this is where the Habs power play comes in. They get a power play. It's been absolute dog shit all season long. But all of a sudden, you know, it's it's not going very well for the first little bit of that power play. But then, Chris Weidman, beautiful pass over to Yuri Slavkovsky. Should I say Yuri Slapshotsky? See what I did there? Slapper in the net. Beautiful shot. Makes it 3-3. Three to three, Ties that game up. And then they get another power play. Same period. We're still in the second period here, folks. And this time, Nick Suzuki, just a beautiful shot fake, comes down low, passes the puck across the ice through a maze of sticks, tape to tape, to a certain Cole Caulfield. And it is 4-3 to three for the Montreal Canadiens. In that period, we had, what, two goals 
by a certain Mr. Cole Caulfield. We are now at 33 goals remaining. The countdown continues, folks. Early third period. Very early in the third period. The Habs also continue. Justin Falk with a turnover in the defensive zone for St. Louis. Christian Dvorak comes down on the left-hand side. He's looking for Kirby Dock across the ice, but it bounces in off a skate. And, folks... Christian Dvorak absolutely needed a, a greasy one like that. He needed something that was going to go in off a defender. Uh, I can't remember who it was. I, I want to say Pareko. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. It doesn't matter. Christian Dvorak needed something like that to get him going. And guess what? It really got him going. Shortly after that, point shot from Josh Anderson. And weird that Josh Anderson was up near the point taking a shot. But he takes a clapper from up there. And it gets tipped in by, guess who? Christian Dvorak. St. Louis would challenge, or rather, you know, the ref said that St. Louis was challenging. It was actually a booth review, apparently. These refs were fucking terrible in this game, by the way. Um, Regardless, very fun game anyways. But it was a booth review. They took a look at it to see if it was a high stick, and it wasn't. Goal was confirmed. Christian Dvorak now has himself a two-goal night, and it is five to three for the Montreal, or sorry, six to three for the Montreal Canadiens. Two-goal night for Dvorak, but you can't sleep on the Blues. You cannot sleep on them. Four-on-four play. Some more bullshit call by the officials. They call roughing on Nick Suzuki and roughing on uh, Tori Krug. Realistically, it was just Krug trying to fight Suzuki and Suzuki not doing anything. But anyways, we go to four-on-four, and Vladimir Tarasenko gets sent in alone. He goes five-hole, and it's six-to-four. Now we got some concern, and from that point, folks, after the Tarasenko goal... It was straight up, run and gun, high-flying, transitional hockey. Chances going both ways. I would argue probably more chances for the Blues. Uh, some good goaltending being an off- offered up by Jake Allen for the Montreal Canadiens, keeping them uh, keeping them in their two-goal lead. Uh, but it was just fun to watch, man. They were just going back and forth. It's it's Again, like I said earlier, the type of thing that you want to see on your television screen on a Saturday night. This is it. That's the kind of hockey I want to see this season, and uh, a a lot of fun. And uh, nobody scored until, of course, the net's empty. The Blues decide to pull Jordan Bennington, and from his own zone, Christian Dvorak flies one, puts it in. His hat trick is completed, and it is 7-4 for the Montreal Canadiens. What a fucking game. Again, I'd be perfectly happy if I saw that game again and the Habs lost it. If they go out on, who are they playing on Tuesday? The Wild. If they go out and the, the exact same game gets played, but they're on the losing end, they lose 7-4, to I'm fine with it. In this season, all I really want to see, I've said this many, many times, excitement, you know, entertainment, and I want to see the young players uh, showing and proving a little bit. We saw all of that in this game, and they just happened to win. So what does this mean for the Montreal Canadiens? Well, <laughs> Toronto lost tonight as well. So technically, I think... Uh, I think they're going to be tied for third in the Atlantic. Um, so what does this mean? Well, um, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's just provocative. It gets the people going. You know, I don't think this team is making the playoffs. I've said that many times. I don't think they have a shot. But you got to take these games and enjoy them while you can. I know a lot of people are worried about you know, these wins piling up and eventually impacting their draft position. But let's face facts, all right? We can enjoy Toronto losing games right now in October. They're not going to be losing games all season. They're going to go on a run at some point, and they're going to take off in the standings and be way ahead of Montreal. 
I really do not think, and I know there are some people who also think that the Montreal Canadiens are going to end up sneaking into the playoffs. I don't see that. And, you know, Toronto's not going to be that bad all season. Um, I think Ottawa is going to probably take off at some point as well. Uh, Boston's already taken off. Uh, the only team that I hope doesn't take off is, is Florida. I hope they start to lose a lot of games because, of course, we have their first-round pick in the 2023 draft. But it, this doesn't really necessarily mean anything for the Habs. Really, when you look at that game, you got to think, what does it mean from the standpoint of player development? And that takes me, it's a pretty good segue, I guess, into my player of the game. Um, i got to go with Christian Dvorak. i got to go with Christian Dvorak. I'm going to have some words for some other players as well. But Christian Dvorak had himself a heck of a game. He was very effective. Um, obviously scored three goals. Um, he kind of just took that puck with the empty net. And uh, I, I wasn't, I was a little bit surprised that he shot it because he didn't have necessarily the clearest path, but he just went for it anyways and he got it in. And the other two goals, I mean, the the first one, obviously a bit of luck bounces in off a defenseman. I think, again, that was Pareko. But if that pass gets through, it's going right onto Kirby Doc's stick, and he's putting it into a wide-open net. So one of two things is happening there. He's either getting an apple or he's getting a goal. And he ends up with the goal. Perfectly fine. Uh, the tip that he put on Anderson's shot, man, again, they reviewed that for a high stick. They took a look to see whether or not it was high. It looked like it might have been, but then when you get to the uh the like the ice level lang- uh, angle that they showed on the camera you could see like he came down from up high but made a perfect tip on it um really good hands really good uh hand-eye coordination to be able to tip that um great game from him he needed that so badly and the habs needed him to have a game like that he's a player that his name's come up in trade rumors before right but with his contract situation and with his performance so far in terms of point production, you know, not necessarily a guy that you can move very easily. So it's one of two things, right? They're either going to have to, you know, at least prior to this game anyways, maybe eat salary in order to move him or try to figure out a way to make him useful for you throughout the course of the rebuild, at least until his contract is over. Um, if he can perform like this more regularly, he could make himself an attractive trade target. It's not like his contract is unmovable. When I said they might have to eat salary in order to move him, I mean, like, you know, if he's not producing, yeah, you got to move salary. But if he can have more games like that, I'm not saying he's obviously not going to score three goals every night. But if he can start piling up some points, you know, he could make himself an attractive target. And he might be somebody that could yield a decent return at the deadline. He's a useful player. He's very good defensively. You know, can chip in offensively. He's the kind of guy that, you know, in a middle six role on a, contending team he could actually be pretty useful if he's your you know third line or fourth line forward you got a really good team i don't think that he's as bad as his point production um, would suggest and he needed a game like that to maybe get him going and we'll see Uh, we'll see on tuesday if he can keep it going against uh, the minnesota wild now Close second, and I really wanted to give him player of the game, but of course when you get a hat-trick, you kind of got to go with the guy who gets the hat-trick. But a very close second in this one, uh, Cole Caulfield. Man, 33 more goals to go. That's it until we hit 40. You know, somebody replied to me on Twitter when I, uh, I was doing my countdown on Twitter there. I said, you know, 33 to go for Cole Caulfield. Somebody replied to me and said, no, 43 to go. So we got people now in, in the Habs fandom who are starting to think about 50. And, you know, I got to tell you, folks, I'm not sitting here willing to predict it. I already predicted 40. I'm not going to go any further. But I don't think 50 is out of the question. 
I'm not sure if he's going to get there this year. I do believe he's going to get there at some point in his career. I think it's going to be tough this year. But you know what? The pace he's on right now suggests that 50 is absolutely reachable. Um, and we'll see. And I got to tell you, he could have had four in this game. Easy. I think he hit the crossbar once in the first. Um, and he also hit the post towards the end of the first or early second. I can't remember exactly when it was. But I know he hit the bar. He had two pings in that game where he was, you know, just a hair away from scoring on both of them. So that could have been a four-goal night. Hmm? Maybe if he was on the ice at the end of that game when the net was empty, maybe he takes that shot where Christian Dvorak was shooting it, and he gets the hat trick. There's there's a version of, of this universe in the multiverse somewhere where he scored four or five goals in that game. Um, and I, I don't think that universe is very far off from the actual one that we reside in. So... Man, he's off to a hot start, and we get to enjoy seeing how far he can take that hot start after what was, you know, a very disappointing rookie season. Took him forever. Took him until Martin Saint-Louis took over the bench to get started. Folks, we got ourselves a gamer. He's going to be very good for this hockey team, and we should be very excited about him. And we should also be pretty excited about Uri Slavkovsky or Uri Slapshotsky. I'm going to make that a thing. It might be cheesy, but I'm making it a thing. I don't care. Um, he had a great game coming back off his injury. I was kind of worried about how he was going to look. You know, young player, still finding his feet in the NHL, really, and he gets an upper body injury. He's out for a few games. Um, and he comes back in, and he was providing energy for them in that game. He had a shift at one point where he made a bit of a bad pass. Like he tried to go in between the legs and make a pass into the middle, but there was nobody home for it. And then he got pissed off. Like it looked like he was pissed off at himself. And he goes on the most tenacious forecheck of a shift, keeps the puck in the zone. Despite the fact that he gave it away, he goes, chases it down behind the net. Everybody else is leaving the zone already for the Habs. They're basically resigning themselves. So let's get back and D this up. Nope. Uri Slavkovsky goes down, turns the puck over, and they end up getting a shot on goal in an offensive zone draw. I mean... The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki Season 2 is... Marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2, now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Of course, you have to look at the goal as well. Great goal. The kind of goal that screams, let this guy have some more minutes on the power play. Especially on a team that's got a really rough power play going. And I was impressed with him in all facets. Again, that four-check shift came at five-on-five. He looked great. He looked ready to go. Uh, excited to see some more games from him coming up soon. And then Nick Suzuki. What, what else can you say about Nick Suzuki, man? Uh, obviously, the goal was a bit of a gimme. He was just kind of standing in front of the net. But he maintains his point-per-game pace. He's above a point-per-game at this point. Uh, I What did I say? I predicted at some point in his career, he's going to have a 90-point season. I don't know if this is going to be it. Again, I'm not willing to call it. But... I believe he's on pace for 90 right now, or close to it. I mean, this is a guy, he could be the first point-per-game player they've had in forever. Who was the last point-per-game player that they had? Was it Alex Kovalev? I'd have to go look that up. 
it's been a very long time since they had a point per game player is the takeaway that you should get here. Um, at any rate, Nick Suzuki playing very good hockey to start this season. And when you take all that into account, right, you have very good hockey coming from Cole Caulfield, coming from Nick Suzuki, coming from your Slavkovsky, coming from your young defense, right? Again, we had pretty solid games from Caden Gooley, uh, really solid game from Johnny Kovacevic, decent game from Arbor Jackeye. Not willing to call that one really good from him, but decent. I mean, you have a lot of young players that are doing very well. Owen Beck in the OHL had a goal and an assist after two periods tonight. He's crushing it. Logan Mayu had an assist. I, I didn't double check to see if he got anything more. But Owen Beck's on a tear. Philip Meshar is destroying the OHL when he's healthy. He just had the flu, so he missed the game yesterday. But they have a lot of very intriguing prospects that are doing very well in the junior ranks and elsewhere. This team could be very, very good in a couple of years. This this rebuild might be shorter than we thought it was going to be. I've always hoped that they could do a rebuild and somehow get back to competing within two, three years. Not make this a five to eight year thing. I think at this point, based on what we've seen early in this season, this team is better than we thought they were going to be. And what we're seeing from some of the guys that are in juniors that are maybe a year, maybe two away from coming up and contributing for this team, we could be rebuilt or at least rebuilt enough to be making the playoffs and taking a shot at things within two to three years. Now, I know some of you, when I say that, are... You know, maybe you're driving in your car, maybe you're sitting at home listening to this, maybe you're listening at the gym, and you're punching something right now and saying, Matt, shut the fuck up, don't try to rush this rebuild. Well, <laughs> look, I'm not rushing anything. If it took them five years, that's fine. I can wait five years for a cup. I waited what? It's been, <laughs> it's been 30 years. It's been pretty much 30 years. I've waited 30. I can wait five more. But... I really think from what I'm seeing right now from this team, what I'm seeing from the players that I watch in junior as well, I think they can do it in two to three. Maybe not win, right? I'm not saying, oh, they're going to win a cup in two to three years, but I think they can be competing for it. You might have to figure something out at goaltending because I'm not too sure Jake Allen is going to be viable that long, but you know, they, they're not that bad. They're not as bad as we thought they were going to be. And they've got legitimate players coming up. And they've already got two first-round picks in the 2023 draft, which is supposed to be a very, very excellent class. And they might even have more. Right? Like, I didn't even talk about Sean Monaghan in that game. Sean Monaghan had a pretty good game. He almost scored. I really, really think they're going to get another first-round pick out of him. Hopefully one in 2023. And then they're going to have three first-round picks in one of the strongest draft classes that we've seen in a long time. And... Again, they've already got really good prospects that are doing well in junior. Like, even if they don't even need all of their prospects to work out, right? Have you seen Lane Lane Hudson so far in his early NCAA career? He's ridiculous. He is ridiculous. He might end up being the steal of that last draft. I said it was going to be Jordan Zeme. I think might actually be Lane Hudson. I might have been wrong about that. Although I do think Jordan Zeme is very good, but I digress. I'm going off the rails here. This team is going to be very good. They've got a lot of prospects that are doing well, and the team is better than we thought they were going to be. Now, let's go back to the game itself. we got to talk one last time about the power play. The power play finally broke through and did something for them. It's been brutal 
all season long. You've seen it. I've seen it. I've talked about it many times. It's been talked about on television. It's it's not a secret that their power play has been complete dog shit. All of a sudden, that power play wakes up and they end up with a 7-4 to four win. You see what the difference, uh, like what a difference a power play can make for a team, right? This is a team that's not expected to make the playoffs. So without their power play, that's a tight game right there. They maybe squeak that one out. Maybe they don't. Maybe it goes to overtime and maybe they lose in the three-on-three. Who knows? The point is, we don't have to worry about that because the power play got it done for you. You got key goals out of that power play. It built up a big lead for you and you were able to hold on to that lead. That's what a power play can do for you. That's what a power play can do for good teams. So imagine that. Imagine when this team's actually ready to compete, if they can play the power play like that, if they can get those goals. Now, I do have to mention, it wasn't perfect. They got two goals out of it. But was it great? Was it great every single time it stepped on the ice? Absolutely not. They had zero shots in a full two minutes in their first power play of the game. Something's clicking, though. You could see it was looking much better. Nick Suzuki, the confidence with which he pulled that move, and he said after the game that they had a meeting about it with uh, Marty St. Louis, and they talked about the things that were working, the things that weren't working, what Marty St. Louis liked, what he didn't like. And then all of a sudden, we see that beautiful move from Nick Suzuki right over to Cole Caulfield, tape to tape. More of that. Keep that going. If they can, they're going to win more games than most of us want them to win because we're not going to get that top five pick. But it's a building block that's going to be very, very important for this team. They're going to trade some guys at the deadline. They're, they're probably going to be selling. But some of these guys are going to be around for the long haul. Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, Uri Slavkovsky. We need to see some development. We need to see by the end of the season that they've got some functionality to that power play. We need to take that into the next year and beyond so that when they're ready to compete, they have that power play. So that some of these games, games like that, games like that against the Blues, you're going to have a lot of those when you're playing against other strong teams in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference as well. You're going to need your power play to carry you in some of those games. That game was proof that you need it to be working. I'm going to cut it off there. We're already running 22 minutes. This is a long one, folks. It's une soirée inconnue pour les employés de soutien. We are on Spotify. We're on Google Play, Apple, Megaphone. I'm on Twitter at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I would appreciate it very much. Thank you, as always, for listening. And, folks, 33 goals remaining. The countdown to 40 for Cole Caulfield continues. À la prochaine.